your Twin Cities radio home for business and investing news. The Biz 1440, KYCR Golden Valley. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. Senators are working through the weekend on a $95 billion military aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Senator Dan Sullivan, a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, says the supplemental bill also offers robust aid to all the other allies. The components of this um, legislation, particularly in Taiwan and Israel, which generally uh, unifies Republicans, is really, really strong, much stronger than what Biden set up. Even should it pass the Senate this weekend, the bill still faces a very questionable future in the House. Former President Trump is reacting to this week's decision by a special counsel to not charge President Joe Biden in a classified documents case. Addressing an NRA event in Pennsylvania last night, Mr. Trump decried what he's called a two-tiered justice system. This is SRN News. What is your healing power? Maybe your healing power is helping veterans with PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, depression, anxiety, or loneliness. Is your healing power a simple heartfelt letter or being a volunteer? It is estimated that over a half a million current warfighters will return from service diagnosed with PTSD and 22 veterans will commit suicide every day. Our veterans have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. At HealVets.org, you can find out more about the healing power of pen pals, volunteers, therapy kits, and more. Discover your healing power at HealVets.org. Help Heal Veterans, together with you, has been helping one recovering veteran at a time. We are helping veterans heal together. What is your healing power? To find out about your power, visit HealVets.org. This PSA is sponsored by Help Heal Veterans. Looking for a new way to give back to your community, learn new skills, and make a real difference? Consider volunteering with your local fire department. The majority of U.S. firefighters and emergency responders are volunteers, answering the call when their community needs them. Be part of a dedicated team of volunteers who step up and protect their community from all types of hazards. You can be the difference. There's no typical firefighter. Anyone can volunteer to serve their community. Volunteering as a first responder is really about having the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. Aside from helping your community and being there for those in need, being a member of the Volunteer Fire Service provides many benefits, including an opportunity to learn new skills and join a family that will serve with you, always have your back, and train you to be the best version of yourself. Your community needs you. Will you answer the call? Learn more and find a local volunteer opportunity at makemeafirefighter.org. That's makemeafirefighter.org. Portions of the following program may have been pre-recorded. No! Come on, rise and shine. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? It's going to be a great year. Turn all the lights on and kill the noise. The Biz 1440 presents the best two hours of economic news and commentary. Is it safe? It's the King Banyan Show. This is a man. Your source for penetrating economic insight, razor-sharp analysis, and unflinching universal thought. My mind is aglow with whirling transient nodes of thought. Everything you need to maintain clarity and stay ahead of the economic curve. Now, here's Professor King Banyan. 
Welcome back, King Banyan Show. Second hour of the show today, 651-289-4477, the number to call with questions and comments. And in case you missed it, if you're, as you know, I normally just will sit down and watch the entirety of uh, the uh, press conference after a FOMC meeting with a notepad and uh, taking taking note of which questions and answers I'd like to play on the show. Of course, we didn't do that last week, but I got a gift. The gift was the fact that uh, on Sunday of this past week, uh, Jay Powell was uh, was on 60 Minutes, so he had to sit down for one segment. And as I mentioned last hour, when they did this with Ben Bernanke, I think it was two segments um, where he both talked about being the guy, you know, the guy as John identified at the end of the last hour, at six five one two eight nine four four seven seven, identified as the right guy at the right time. In some sense, yes, I think I think I think Ben was was the right guy in in insofar as he is someone that stood that had spent a career studying economic and monetary and financial history, and so he he kind of knew what not to do, but I still think what was created created the seeds of some of the uh, difficulties we experienced uh, after the great financial crisis. Um, not saying what was done was right or wrong. That's not, that's not my point. My point is, my point is there were conse- there were unforeseen consequences of the actions that were taken. And some of those consequences have visited upon Jay Powell, just as they did to Janet Yellen before him. Um, that, that being said, Jay Powell is on here and basically basically delivering sort of the message that the economy's doing well and uh, thinks they've they've managed to uh, manage managed it uh, pretty nicely. So let me uh, I'm going to play several cuts from this and I want to inter- intersperse a couple of his uh, a couple of other members of the Federal Reserve uh, Open Market Committee uh, to pre- I think yes I have two. Uh, bank presidents from two of the regional banks that also were out there because the Fed was clearly signaling hard uh, to make sure that everyone got the message. This has been a concerted effort since the press conference 10 days ago to let people know, here's where we are right now. You, you know, you folks maybe aren't really listening to us, but clearly the Fed has gotten um, the Fed has gotten the uh, message across that the rate cut in March is not happening. Let's play this first. Cut number one. We uh, we have a strong economy. Uh, growth is going on at a, at, a, at a solid pace. The labor market is strong, 3.7% unemployment. With the economy strong like that, we, we feel like we can approach the question of when to begin to uh, reduce interest rates carefully. And we, you know, we want to see more evidence that inflation is moving sustainably down to 2%. We have some confidence in that. Our confidence is rising. We just want some more confidence before we take that very important step of step of beginning to to cut interest rates. So, made it very clear in the in that conversation, then, in in that little uh, uh, soliloquy that that they they feel good, but they don't necessarily feel altogether that good, um, and and and. And so he sort of asked, tell me how you're evaluating. He's asked by the interviewer, tell me how you're evaluating the risks between between uh, 
between cutting too soon and cutting too late. Um, so he he does this first, uh, and I think I've got the uh, I think I've got his, the uh, Scott Pelly's question right here as well. Let's play this cut too. Interest rates will always include uh, an estimate of future inflation. If that estimate is two percent, that means you'll have two percent more that you can cut in your in interest rates. The central bank will have more ammunition, more power to fight a downturn if rates are a little bit higher. And this is one of these things that drives folks like me a, a little bit cuckoo. I'm an old-fashioned monetarist in the sense that I try to think about the size of the mo- size of the money supply in thinking about what happens here. So thinking that you have to somehow reload your weapon to fight the next recession um, is, is I think, a category error. You fight the recession by adding or subtracting liquidity, not by changing interest rates. You change interest rates to the extent that they have an impact on liquidity. There are other things you can do regarding liquidity. One thing that didn't get discussed in in this this talk, which you've heard me talk about here on the King Banyan Show several times, is the fact that the Fed is still, while it's saying it's on hold, it is still engaged in quantitative tightening. You've now had the balance sheet shrink by $1.3 trillion since the start of QT about 18 months ago. Okay, that's a shrinkage of over 20%. I'm trying to do the math I had. I think it's more than 20%, but it's somewhere in that area. That shrink is causing some of the issues that they have they have here. And so he's asked, so what happens if I get what happens if you get it wrong on the on the high side versus on the on the low side? Um, and so he he has some answers to that. And so gives gives you one answer. This would be, um, this is the one where he talks about what happens if you were to cut rates prematurely, too soon. Cut three. Or you could just halt the progress. I, I think more likely, uh, if you move too soon, you'd see inflation settling out somewhere well above our two percent target. And that, in fact, is about the base forecast that I gave you in the, at the end of the last hour. I think they will stop rate cuts too soon. So when I say there will be three rate cuts this year, I'm not saying they're waiting till the till August to make the first one. Right now, the market is priced uh, the May the May meeting on May first to whereas even as little a month ago you would have said about a 6% chance that they hadn't cut rates by then. I was in that camp. I'm now thinking the, at, in the May meeting, they're going to cut. But the market has moved toward a 39% chance that there'll be no cut by May, that the cut will be delayed until June. I think the way the Fed thinks about the politics right here, it's going to end up, it's going to have to move now. If it doesn't move in May, it can't make many cuts while we're in the throes of the uh, election campaign. They have a meeting on the 18th of September. Are they going to touch interest rates on the 18th of September in the heat of a presidential campaign? No. 
The next meeting's on the 7th of November. I don't think there'll be a cut even then. I think there will be probably one at, at, at the end of December. The last meeting's on the 18th of December. But the one on the 31st of July will be after the Republican convention, but before the Democrat convention. The one on the 18th of September is in the throes. It's right around the time you'd have your first presidential debate, if there are presidential debates. Who knows? The next one is within a few days of the of, of the uh, presidential election, and likely still with the the still with the economy not with the maybe the the country doesn't know who won at that particular or has a disagreement about who won at that time. I think they cut in May because I don't think they want to think they have to cut in September or November. So if I was going to pick my cuts, I'd say May. I'd say they're going to go May 1st, they're going to go July 31st, and they then might do either the 7th of November, but I think not. I think they'll wait till December, and those are, your, those are the three dates of the cuts that I see coming. What happens if they, uh, if they wait too long? Well, he says this, cut number four. If you move too late, then you might you might uh, policy would be too tight, and that could easily weigh on economic activity and on on the labor market. Maybe so, a recession, right? And we have to we have to balance those two risks. There there is no, you know, easy, simple, obvious path. So, I think that that fear is in their head. Now we've gone to the point where we have to balance those two pieces. So we've left the world where we say inflation is is the primary concern. He's now talking about balancing the risk of recession versus inflation at a time when the unemployment rate's 3.7%. I think they're showing their hand that they're going to go sooner rather than later. I don't think they'll go in March because they've been pretty clear that they're not going in March. Um, there are some holdouts there, but I think I think those are bets on bad economic data that I don't see right now. Uh, could happen, but you know, that's why that's why there's betting. You might win, uh, but I don't see it happening. So, so that's that's where he is. That's where he is right now. He he starts with that, and let's play one more cut of him before we take our break. This is cut number five. So, in hindsight, it would have been better to 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 have tightened policy earlier. We thought that the economy was so dynamic that it would fix itself fairly quickly. And we thought that inflation would go away fairly quickly without an intervention by us. And so in the fourth quarter of 21, it became clear that inflation was not transitory in the sense that I mentioned. And we pivoted and started tightening in it. And I'm not sure I've ever said this on the show, so let me be clear. First of all, uh, Spencer and I talk in pre-show. Kudos to the chairman for owning a mistake. And. I don't think it was stupid to think that inflation was transitory. I, I took the non, my non-transitory story was based on was based on the uh, Biden stimulus plan in March of twenty one. Had that not happened, the transitory story I think could have held a lot of water. There's never a monocausal explanation for these events. There was demand stimulus that pushed up prices. There were supply constraints that pushed up prices. The question is what share of each was in there. Okay. He made a call. That call ended up being the wrong call. He thought it was more supply side than demand side. I thought it was more demand side than supply side. I still think I'm right. 
he's now saying he doesn't think he doesn't think he was right. Folks like Paul Krugman still are saying they were right and that that team transitory just sold out too soon. Okay. Um I'm not interested in that, but the the, the point here is is um that experience the most recent experience they had was that inflation was higher than they expected. They had a bad they had they made a forecast and the forecast was wrong. That makes you a little a little gun shy about thinking you've got a good grip on what inflation's gonna do at the end of twenty twenty four. And I think that's why the Fed's going like, hang on, hang on, we need a little more information. Give me a couple more months of data from CPI, from PCE before I'm ready to sort of say, yeah, we're we're probably too far over in the tight category. And we're not going to go all the way back to neutral. We're going to go back to just about, we're going to go back to just about even. Uh, try to go back to, we're going to, we're going to go back to a little less tight rather than going to neutral immediately. I need to take a break here. We come back more of the Jay Powell interview. The other stuff after he gets off this stuff was really interesting. I want you to hear that after this King Banyan show, the biz 1440. My husband got involved in day trading and has lost about $150,000. Whoa. Um, $4,800 a month in minimum payments. Direct, honest, The Ramsey Show. Weekdays 1 to 4. What's your legacy? When it's your turn to depart this earth, what will you leave behind? Whether it's a lot or a little, you certainly don't want to leave a mess. Tune in to this week's Money Matters with Alan Mike because they'll be discussing your legacy issues, the tough ones, the situations that cause problems with estate plans, and how to avoid them. So make sure you listen to Money Matters with Alan Mike, 2 p.m. Sunday on The Biz 1440, or call them now with your questions at 855-231-6010. All of us love sports, but not all sports are created equal. College sports have big budgets dedicated alumni networks, and corporate sponsorships. Professional sports have even deeper pockets. Millionaire owners, lucrative TV and radio deals, and merchandise sales. High school sports have you. Everyone agrees high school sports give us plenty of reasons to cheer. And now's a great time for us to give back. Supporting your hometown high school won't cost you much. But it will go a long way to ensuring the games we love the most are here to stay. Minnesota High School Sports. They're good for our kids, good for our community, and best of all, they're good for you. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. This is Dennis Prager. I am excited to announce the all-new PragerTopia Plus. You can listen to my show whenever it's convenient for you, all commercial-free and all on demand. Now with Prager Plus, search topics, guests, and segments all the way back to 2010. And now a truly exciting new benefit, my monthly online video get-together for Prager Topia Plus members only. 
This is where for an hour each month, PragerTopia Plus members get an exclusive chance to ask me anything. That's right, anything. It's on video. I'll be talking to you and answering your questions. We may even have a special guest every now and then. I've never done this. Submit your questions for me at PragerTopia.com. This is only available to PragerTopia Plus members. This is our chance to connect like never before. Go to PragerTopia.com or click the banner at DennisPrager.com. $40,000? Yes. To fix up your house. You're millionaires. Yes. <laughs> you had to call me about $40,000 when, when you have almost $2 million? The Ramsey Show. Live every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. So, as is common after the FOMC meeting, and then and then the then uh, the chairman gets a, a sixty minutes hit. Um, every other official who can get to a microphone and speak uh, does so. Um, and I'm just going to play you a couple a couple of clips that are of uh, Fed Fed presidents who were out this week. Uh, talking, uh, one of them, Tom Barkin. Tom is the Barkin is the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, um, and he was he was sharing the same vision that uh, that uh, uh, Chairman Powell was uh, giving on the sixty minutes talk. This is cut number nine. I mean, I, I think you have to acknowledge how good the inflation data has been for the last seven months. I mean, last seven months, core inflation, 1.9%. That's right on target. That's terrific, right? And I'm not rooting against inflation, but I'm always, you know, trust but verify, you know, let's make sure that's really right. And so we'll get a few more months. It would be, uh, I would very much like to see that trend continue and, you know, broaden because it's been disproportionately goods deflation that's been masking higher than normal prices and rents and shelter. So I'd love to see it broaden. Um, and maybe it will. I, I, you know, the trend is good, and you can't argue with that, that trend. Let's just see how we go. So it's pretty clear that they're waiting for additional data to come around. Susan Collins, who is the president of the Federal Reserve Bank in Boston, the, the bank hosted a conference, and she had some comments as well. This is cut 10. While I'm heartened by the progress to date, I will need to see more evidence before considering adjusting the policy stance. Indeed, I fully support last week's FOMC policy statement. It unambiguously reaffirms the committee's resolve to achieve and maintain our inflation target. For the moment, policy remains well positioned as we carefully assess the evolving data and outlook. That said, as we gain more confidence in the economy achieving the committee's goals and consistent with the last set of projections from FOMC participants in December, I believe it will likely become appropriate to begin easing policy restraint later this year. And so what will be what will be telling, of course, is the next meeting, that March meeting, will include the, the statement of economic projections. All of these Fed presidents, Bark and Collins, Powell, all of them will have to give us another, have to give, turn in a set of economic projections for the end of 24 on inflation, on GDP growth, and on what they think the Fed funds rate will be in December. 
Okay, as you recall, last time it was a dog's breakfast of forecasts from a couple people saying there'd be no cuts to one person saying there would be seven cuts. Okay, you can expect that that you will see much less dispersion going forward. If we get the same amount of dispersion in the March, in the March number, that's going to be alarming. That's going to be like the Fed doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't know what it wants to do next. So you can expect that there's a lot of there's a lot of jawboning going on. Remember, it's not they're not just talking to the market. They are talking to each other. They're not just talking to each other on a cell phone but with a text message, not just with an email of hey, here's what my research team says is going on in this place or that place. No, they are talking to each other in these in these public statements on the when they go on the financial news networks when they when they show up on YouTube you know for a fact that everyone else on FOMC is watching interpreting maybe even texting hey what did you mean when you said this um and so forth they have got to come to some agreement and i think actually the march meeting will be where we get a much better sense of how many cuts there will be i still I still will argue at that point you will have six meetings left and I think you're going to end up with with three reductions, okay? And they're going to talk about it sort of like how they went up. They have a live meeting and a not live meeting. Uh, They were trying to raise rates every other meeting. I think they'll cut rates basically on a schedule of every other meeting. They'll try to actually telegraph, I think, as early as March where they come down couple other things i i wanted to take a little time with this just for a moment because of because in, information came out there was a report from the congressional budget office about the deficit for 2024 so the 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 biden administration in a, in a moment yeah the biden administration did not have a great week uh particularly with uh what happened on thursday um Go listen to my friends on, on AM twelve eighty the Patriot this afternoon, Mitch Berg, tomorrow or or, or listen to Jack or listen or, or 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 listen to Brad tomorrow at one to three, Brad Carlson, uh one to three. I'm sure they will talk about the press conference and and the uh, the special counsel's report on uh on, on the documents. Um it it it, it was it was a, a jarring day. I would say, but I was jarred as much by the fact that the administration came out and celebrated that CBO said, said, Hey, the deficit's smaller this year than last year. Yes. The, the, the the budget deficit for 2024 is anticipated coming at $1.6 trillion versus 1.7 trillion last year. But the deficit will rise said CBO all the way to $2.6 trillion in 2034. That's even after letting some of the tax breaks that have happened so far expire. That's even after all of the money that's been spent in the, in the, in the bipartisan infrastructure bill or law go through. Even after all that, an annual deficit of $2.6 trillion in 2034 it's absolutely remarkable just remarkable 
I thought it was telling that the Federal Reserve chair, in his interview with, with Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes, you know, even before this came out, had something to say about about uh, the deficit. Let's play. This is cut number eight, Spencer. In the long run, the U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. The U.S. federal government's on an unsustainable fiscal path. And that just means that the debt is growing faster than the economy. I have the sense this worries you very much. Over the long run, of course it does. You know, we're effectively, we're borrowing from future generations. It's time for us to get back to putting a priority on fiscal sustainability. And and sooner is better than later. I am actually, it, it is not often that Federal Reserve chairs will say anything about fiscal policy. That is actually a volume. That's a whole book in about in about uh 25 seconds right you're concerned of course i am says of course i am by the way that's also part of my explanation i i don't know if i said this on the air or just spencer but i'll re i'll reiterate don't anticipate that uh that jay powell is going to be the chair of the fed much past the end of uh, 2024 i do think he'll step away um before his term comes up, I believe in early 2026, I don't think he'll let the let let it hang. He'll just say whoever wins the election in 2025 gets to pick the new Fed chair. That's really not how it's supposed to be. Fed chairs are not supposed to be on the same cycle as presidents. Uh, that's part of the part of the norm of central bank independence as it's practiced in the U.S. But I but. Federal Reserve, but chairs can, anyone, anyone in the Fed can resign at the time of their choosing. And I fully expect that he's going to, that either very late in 24, or early 25, I think he's going to end his time as the chair of the Fed. Um, I'd really be surprised he doesn't. So if, if I'd be surprised if he tries to stick around 26. I'd be even more surprised if uh, he was reappointed, no matter who wins. Okay. The election itself, who wins the election will not matter to whether or not he's reappointed. I think I think he's he's figuring he's at the end of his time. I think he knows that. And I think he's beginning to act like a guy who's like, yeah, well, I'm gone in a year. I'm just going to do what I want to do and say what I want to say. And I'll try to do the right thing for posterity because sure as heck, he's writing a book and I'll be I'll be the first guy in line to buy it because I'm I'm. He's a curious case, that fellow. He had a couple more things to say that we're going to play after the break because I want to turn to the case of New York Community Bank, which has set off a whole lot of debate about how we regulate banks. Uh, and we're going to talk about that right after this. You're listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. that aches and pains come with simply getting older. 
but it doesn't mean you have to accept it. That's why I want to tell you about a special lady, Leah from Ohio, and her relief factor story. One Sunday, Leah was sitting on the couch in so much pain, she was literally in tears. That's when she decided to try Relief Factor. Just eight days later, she found relief, and she continued to get better and better. To quote her, she said, I am truly amazed at this product. Like me, who after nine, almost ten years, almost a decade of low back pain, lost that pain thanks to Relief Factor. If you're living with aches and pains, see how Relief Factor, a daily drug-free supplement, could help you feel and live better every day. Get the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com or call 1-800-4-RELIEF. It all comes with a feel-better or your money-back guarantee. That number, 1-800, the number 4, RELIEF, relieffactor.com. How would you like to get high-speed internet for your home for less than $2 a day? That's right. For about 50 bucks a month, you'll get lightning fast internet. Are you paying less than 50 bucks a month right now for your internet? Then call Whole Home Connect right now for blazing fast internet at 50 bucks a month with no price increases, no hidden fees, no contracts, no upfront costs, no equipment fees. It's a great deal. And guess what? You can try it for 15 days. If you don't like it, you get your money back. But you're going to love it. And you're going to love the price. Internet for your home for 50 bucks a month. That's less than two bucks a day. Plus, no contracts, no upfront costs, no equipment fees, and our 15 day guarantee. Call now 800 846 2124. 800 846 2124. 800 846 2124. That's 800 846 2124. Be honest about who is taking advantage of us and keeping us divided. To be black in America today is to be labeled and used. But it's not because America is a systemically racist country. It is not. It is not. It's not. It's because the loudest voices who say they have all the answers are actually the problem. There are progressive forces and organizations dividing us as a people and as a country. They stoke hatred and division to hide the real problems and keep us angry. We've seen this pattern repeat itself over and over again. We have to take a new course. And now's the time to return to our cultural roots of faith, family, and education. Take Charge Minnesota believes that America works for everyone, regardless of race or social standing. Please help counter the cultural narrative by watching the film I Am a Victor this month. Go to AM1280 The Patriot and click on the I Am a Victor banner on the homepage. And you can get more information by going to TakeChargeMN.com. Back, King Dangan Show, the Biz 1440. Thank you for being part of us today and listening to the show. Uh, always appreciate, always appreciate the opportunity. One more thing that was uh, talked about during the uh, talked about during the uh, conversation was the uh, during the conversation on 60 Minutes was the status of what happened with the banks. Now the Fed has been pretty clear, and Powell reiterated during the show that 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 they missed on Silicon Valley Bank. They missed on on Signature Bank and on First Republic. And indeed he pretty much says this 
um, says this uh, at um, it, it says this in particularly regarding what's happening right now with uh, commercial real estate, where there has been a significant drop in valuations as people are not using office space as much or not using not using office space as much. Commercial real estate has taken a hit, and some folks are kind of in trouble as a result of that. Um, and so he's asked, Powell is asked, whether or not we think there is uh, the likelihood of another real estate crisis. And he answers this. This is cut number six. Don't think I don't think that's likely. We looked at the larger banks' balance sheets, and it appears to be a manageable problem. There's some smaller and regional banks that have concentrated exposures in these areas that are challenged and you know we're working with them and and that's interesting because of course what happened silicon valley bank pretty quickly became uh went from being a smaller bank to being a larger bank with a flood of deposits that they then had to figure out how to invest and you'll recall the story we told it here you can find it in the archives at twincitiesbusinessradio.com Go back and find the archives from uh, March of 23 or April of 23. And we talk about, I talked about how they just got a lot of deposits and their decision was, we'll just invest them in treasuries because treasuries are at 25 3%. We're paying next to no in- interest on the deposits. We got enough, we get enough on that spread to cover our expenses. Well, the problem was, of course, they took on, they bought these treasuries and said, we're just going to hold them to maturity. We're going to buy out on the maturity spectrum. We'll be fine. And we know what happened. Interest rates went up. The value of those securities on the portfolio went down. They played with some accounting rules for a few months that allowed them to sort of whistle past the graveyard, eventually caught up with them. Okay, that's the 20-second explanation of what will be several really good books in financial history. Uh, that will be out in the next in the next year or two, I would think. Um, but he he goes on and thinks of you know. So he says you know I don't think I don't think we you know I don't think we're going to see uh, bank failures across the country like we did in in two thousand eight. Um, and he and he goes on to talk about the uh, the mea culpa from what happened in what happened with Silicon Valley and so forth. This is cut seven. So, yes, we uh, we did, and we forthrightly uh, saw that we needed to do better. So we've spent a lot of time working on ways to make supervision more effective, and also to 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 adapt regulation to a more to a modern context in which a bank run can happen so much faster than it could have even twenty years ago. And one of the ways you do that is to start making sure that banks have sufficient capital to cover those losses. Um, you will hear this referred to frequently as Basel III, Basel being the, the set of agreements that were created in, the international, in international banking to allow these banks to uh, allow banks to sort of have rules on how banks decided on the requirements of capital. Very quickly, right? The amount of capital that a bank has to hold on hand is the amount that it can't lend out. So it determines the amount of leverage a bank has. And 
the United States has always had banks because it has a large number of banks. We have 4,500 banks in the U.S. Just to pick one example that I always have on top of my head. We have 4,500 banks go north of the border. Canada basically has six. Okay? Six banks in Canada hold over 90, over, well over 90% of all the deposits in, the, in, in Canada. In the United States, that ratio of the top six is about 25%. It's still a lot, but that leaves the other 4,490 um, a lot of money to work with. One of the reasons Silicon Valley Bank got up on the radar was they crossed a line that puts them at puts them at uh, fairly cross a line that puts them at a greater level of scrutiny than they had had previously. The same thing happened just recently with New York Community Bank, which among other things was the bank that absorbed Signature Bank, one of the three banks that got that got shut down in March of twenty three. Because they were in in a bad place. But it was different. Silicon Valley Bank was mismanagement of a treasury portfolio, a portfolio of treasury bonds. Signature Bank was a bank that was invested in in commercial real estate. Um, And this was kind of one of the core pieces of the work that, that New York Community Bank does. New York Community Bank's been around since the 1850s. It is an old bank. But beginning in 2019, it started to grow, and I tweeted to you using the hashtag #PoundKBRS an interesting story about it. Now I'm going to we're going to talk about that in a minute. But one of the things that's been discussed here is the way you protect a bank like that is supposed to be done by telling the banks you've got to have a, a cushion of cash in the vault to cover deposit outflows. We can do that by having reserve requirements, by telling you to stick your money at the, at the Fed. But now we're having them do instead, we're emphasizing capital requirements. They both, they, they coexist. And in, in pretty much every banking system, there's a requirement of how much capital a bank has to have in place and how much reserves they have to have against their deposits. The capital requirement is set, on the, is set vis-a-vis the total amount of assets the bank has, not the deposit base. And these are both separate from FDIC. And I can talk about FDIC in a second. But both the Fed and legislators, actually for pretty much from both parties, are are rather insistent. Legislators from both parties, but not both parties in unison. I mean, not... The Democrats are split on on capital regulation. The Republicans are kind of split on capital regulation. It's a little less apparent there. The Democrat split is very apparent uh, between those that are pretty well connected to Wall Street, the Charles Schumers of the world versus the Elizabeth Warrens of the world who are like the banks, banks of the source of all evil. So they are trying to push capital requirements that would basically mean banks would have to raise 20, 30, 40, the largest ones would have to raise 20, 30, 40 billion dollars of additional capital that they could not turn around and lend at profit. They would have to have that sit there in very safe 
cash assets to protect against deposit outflows. Right, which makes sense, and I mean, you don't have to be Elizabeth Warren to do this. Uh, uh, John Cochran, the relatively conservative professor at Stanford of economics, who's who's on who, who's on um, on the uh, Goodfellows podcast from the Hoover Institution, one of the best podcasts out there. Um, he he's also big on on these capital requirements. The banks have been pushing back with with editorials in the Wall Street Journal. Going out in public, I'm just going to give you a couple quick clips to sort of give you the example. The first one here, this is Brian Moynihan. Moynihan is the CEO of Bank of America, talking about these capital requirements. And he's saying, look, you already have us at a disadvantage. Capital requirements in the United States are bigger than in Europe, but you're going to make things even worse. This is cut 13. You know, the examinations we have on capital, they do impact our ability to drive competition in the market and help America's businesses grow, expand around the world, grow domestically. And on a level playing field, there's a critical issue here, is that if these rules go through, the U.S. banking system went from being here relative to the European banking capitalization or other countries to here. The difference there is, of course, the European banks, there are fewer of them. They are very much larger. They have, a, they have a capital cushion, but they are very tightly controlled in who they can lend to and how they lend in Europe relative to the United States, where we allow a little bit more of the, the freedom for banks to lend where they see uh, possibilities. Another example from the same Bloomberg story that ran this week, this is Jane Frazier. She is, uh, she is the uh, CEO of Citigroup, uh, which, of course, is uh, the old Citibank of New York. Um, and she had the same thing to say, cut 14. Raising capital requirements by as much as 20% on an industry that all participants believe is well capitalized is a bad idea in any environment. But it becomes even more problematic with economic uncertainty ahead. Well, Ms. Frazier, with all due respect, there's always economic uncertainty. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to play a little bit for Bloomberg last night uh, on Wall Street Week. Sheila Baer, who used to be the, the chief regulator at the FDIC, had some really interesting comments. I want to play that. But I also want to read you a little bit of this story so that you understand what's happening at New York Community Bank. And why you probably should pay attention to this story next week. Uh, it's gonna, I, this, this has the possibility of, of blowing up. and we're gonna, So I need to take a break here when we come back. Sheila Bear, New York Community Bank, and all that here on the King Banyan Show on the Biz 1540. You and your business are online today more than ever. Most people are working from home and meeting via internet, and that means IT structures are overtaxed and Wi-Fi is humming. An outage in one of your critical systems now could be a fatal blow to your operation. Arby's Computer Service is ready and able to help. Their staff is standing by and prepared to offer assistance. If your business IT system experiences a failure, give Arby's a call. Their professional team of certified computer and networking specialists is experienced in diagnosing and solving a wide range of issues. With Arby's Computer Service on the job, you'll never have to worry about dealing with IT-related issues on your own, whether it's for your personal system or business. Arby's Computer Service knows that Internet traffic is surging, and they're available now to help. 
You'll always get competitive pricing, trustworthy advice, and excellent customer service from Randy and his team at Arby's Computer Service. Giving your computer problems the boot. Arby's Computer Service. China is attacking the U.S. patent system, stealing American innovations, and we are helping them do it. The Chinese Communist Party intends to surpass us and to be the world leader in innovative technology. Innovation Race, the shocking new movie from the Tea Party Patriots, exposes the truth. China will use our own technology to threaten our economic and military security. Dominating technology means you dominate the world itself. This is a race that we cannot afford to lose because we're not going to have a country. If China gains control over 5G technology with a flip of a switch, they could remotely turn off our phones, our cars, even our power grid. We've lost sight of what it is to protect this nation. We need to up our game. In today's high-tech world, there's no prize for second place. Watch Innovation Race. Available now on demand or DVD at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Overcoming debt can be daunting. Whether your debt is manageable or has six zeros behind it, there's hope. Tune in to The Ramsey Show for a common-sense approach to breaking free from debt, building wealth, and enhancing your life. For decades, Dave has been helping people take control of their financial lives, one baby step at a time. So listen to The Ramsey Show. You may just hear a caller story similar to your own. Weekdays from 1 p.m. to 4 on The Biz 1440. The Ramsey Show. The higher education community is at best irresponsible, at worst con artists. We don't have a student loan crisis. We have a parenting crisis. Live every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4. You need to call the police and you need to call your father. And you need to get you and your son away from this guy. I want to fix it. That's why I want to my home. And I just want to be able no, to No, no, no honey, honey. We don't need to call a realtor. You and your son are in danger. Direct. Honest. The Ramsey Show. Weekdays 1 to 4. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. I have to get to this pretty quick because this is a bit of a longer clip, and I want to make sure we've had time to digest it. Uh, so uh, New York Community Bank um, was popping along, like I said, been a bank since the 1850s. Throughout most of the 2010s, it's about a 50 to $55 billion uh, uh, total asset bank. Which means it's in it's in the category where it gets a lower level of scrutiny than those that initially the limit was two hundred fifty billion dollars. That was what was set after the Great Financial Crisis, and what happened after twenty twenty uh, after the after SVB uh, went it went uh, went down in March of last year was. Uh, they are now, but for other reasons too, they are now giving significant scrutiny to banks at the level down to $100 billion. Last year, New York Community Bank buys up assets from Signature Bank. It had previously bought uh, a, 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 a bank in Michigan called Flagstar uh, to acquire a different set of, uh, a different set of uh, uh, 
uh, of banks and, and customers and so forth to try to diversify out of the fact that it was heavily concentrated in the New York City commercial real estate market. So remember, it can't buy Signature Bank without the U.S. government's permission because New York because the U.S. government had taken over Signature Bank. And it goes to a bank like 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 you know New York Community Bank and says and and says, "Would you like to buy this bank?" They say yes. Supposedly, the government does due diligence on it to say, "Can you absorb these assets from Signature Bank?" Says okay, and. Not nine months later, now that they've crossed that $100 billion threshold after the acquisition, and now the higher level of scrutiny, now they're looking underneath, now they're looking un, under, the, under the carpets and under the hood of the, of the bank and whatever metaphor you want to use, and they're saying, whoa, wait, what? There mm, seems to be some problems here. Um, and everyone's blaming the fact that once they get to $100 billion, they have to raise more capital and so forth. But I, I, I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding here. And for that reason, I wanted to play this. Last night on Wall Street Week, Sheila Baer, who had been the, the, the chair of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which regulates any bank that receives deposit insurance. It has a set of regulators that go in, do bank inspections, and so forth. Was on. It, the whole nine minutes of, of Baer are quite interesting. I want you to hear just a minute of this. Let's play cut 15. Yeah, the common one is is that's going to hurt lending, it's going to constrain lending. First of all, these rules primarily impact trading operations and operate trading and operations, not lending. Actually, in aggregate capital requirements go down a little bit under those proposed rules for so-called uh, credit risk. So, and even if that was true, well-capitalized banks do a better job of lending through the cycle. You want them to be resilient enough. We've been talking about the situation we have now with commercial real estate. This is going to create increased credit losses on the banking system, and large banks have some exposure here, too. Also, as you know, as monetary policy uh, tightens again, you have market law inflated asset valuations adjust. Low-yielding assets lose market value. So when we get to these cycles we and of monetary tightening, we talk about a hard landing. But the way you avoid a hard landing is to make sure the banking system has enough capital to absorb the kinds of losses we're seeing right now, which, which come with monetary tightening. And this is this. So, again, maybe I should go back and play this one more time. This was Jay Powell talking about that very same issue. Cut number seven. So. Yes, we uh, we did, and we forthrightly uh, saw that we needed to do better. So we've spent a lot of time working on ways to make supervision more effective, and also to 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 adapt regulation to a more to a modern context in which a bank run can happen so much faster than it could have even twenty years ago. But that adaptation is is largely by telling banks you have to have a bigger cushion. Um, and there wasn't apparently in the desire to wind up Signature Bank and get it out of receivership, which it had been in, it appears they did not do the due diligence on on New York Community Bank Corp. So it's the same kind of thing. You've got the investors. Apparently there's a, according to the Wall Street Journal article this morning, 
there is a there is a WhatsApp group of New York Community Bank depositors who are talking, much like what happened with with Silicon Valley Bank. You've got to think that that somehow somebody has got to get in and see what that conversation is, because that conversation is going to be is going to be tell you when and whether there's going to be a run on the deposits at New York Community Bank Corp. Okay, the point here is, I agree with Bear. You need higher capital requirements. Banks have to be asked to hold capital to protect themselves from losses. Yes, the Federal Reserve took actions that made commercial real estate look bad, but commercial real estate was in trouble because of the pandemic and even had some issues pre-pandemic. That all had to be expected. And yet somehow you 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 basically allowed New York Community Bank Community Bank to double down by acquiring acquiring the assets from signature and now you're stuck with the same mess you had before okay and i i am flabbergasted i mean i'm reading this story and the more i read the story it's like did you not learn anything from the last from the last uh from what happened last spring it doesn't appear so it doesn't appear so and you kind of wonder what will it take to get better to get better banks uh, and better government treatment of banks. I'm not talking about regulation per se, but just just in general. Anyway, I got to go. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Go we'll back here next week with another edition of the King Banyan Show on the Biz 1440. I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in Minnesota. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. There are progressive forces and organizations dividing us as a people and as a country. They stoke hatred and division to hide the real problems and keep us angry. We've seen this pattern repeat itself over and over again. We have to take a new course. And now's the time to return to our cultural roots of faith, family, and education. Over half of black students in Minneapolis public schools are failing but black students in the same neighborhoods who attend private faith-based schools perform above national averages. Every parent should have the choice and the right to send their child to a safe and excellent school. And today, nearly 80% of black children in the Twin Cities live day-to-day without their father. That's four out of every five. Take Charge Minnesota believes that America works for everyone, regardless of race or social standing. Get more information by going to TakeChargeMN.com. There are no words to describe it. The isolation. The boredom. The loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care, 
the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. It's getting harder and harder to make sense out of today's headlines. To stay on top of breaking world and national news with a Christian worldview and a faith-based perspective on what it means, turn to ChristianHeadlines.com. Log on to ChristianHeadlines.com for the very latest news and then sign up for our free daily newsletter to stay one step ahead of what's happening. Get out of the mainstream media rut with top news and positive headlines every day with ChristianHeadlines.com. The Biz 1440.